This is Renegades Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. Hey, what's up, Hellraisers? Welcome back to another episode of Renegades Roundup. Sorry that we missed you last week. There were just a couple of conflicts of interest in the schedule, and one thing led to another. And before we knew it, uh, the game had happened. So we just didn't have the opportunity to get our schedules to line up. Joe had things that he was doing, getting ready to move. I was getting my man cave set up to watch March Madness. You know how crazy that Thursday and Friday first round action can be. And... From what I can tell, Joe, I wasn't the only one watching March Madness because the uh, the numbers for this past week of television for the XFL did not turn out very good because I think pretty much everybody was watching college hoops this week instead. I mean, March Madness is one of the best times of the year. You can't blame them for watching basketball, especially with some of those upsets that we had. So, Dude. you know, it, it's to be expected. Uh, not the upsets, but the low numbers for the XFL. And so I, it's nothing to really worry about i think but oh man those upsets <laughs> oh man Furman beating virginia was so mm-hmm. awesome those last second theatrics and then i was actually calling a baseball game when fairly dickinson pulled off the upset of the ages like they were the shortest team in college basketball and took down a team that had a seven foot four center that just did not know how to play the game that night Oh my gosh, it was it was crazy. I, I love March Madness. And, and it's not to say that I don't love the XFL, but I feel like with, with you being busy moving and with me uh, being busy doing that, uh, I think it's fair if we just go ahead and try to recap the game that we didn't talk about two weeks ago. We'll make that one of our cylinders this week. We'll forego the, the player slash coach profile. We've got one loaded up for you that we'll probably get to next week probably. And we'll take a look at the game at St. Louis, and then we'll also take a look at the game at San Antonio, and then preview the upcoming game at home against San Antonio. So there's a lot of Renegades-related football to be discussed, and Joe, unless you've got some other opening thoughts, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Let's head to St. Louis. All right, rev up your engines, Renegades fans. It's time for Cylinder number 1. Joe, it's unfortunate that uh, this is the very first thing we talk about off the top because it's probably the most embarrassing loss that we've had of the season, Mm -hmm. but it's still worth mentioning because there were a few bright spots that I feel like translated into the game against San Antonio, and we were also playing in front of a record 38,310 people in an enclosed area. I can only imagine the decibel level at that place since football came back to the city of St. Louis. It's great for the city, just wasn't great on the scoreboard for us. Yeah, no, and I'd say it it hands down was the worst game that the defense has played so far this year. Yeah. And and as we've seen with this team, with the defenses and on, it does not bode well for everyone involved. I mean, A.J. McCarron threw for 214 yards and then 
Brian Hill and Mateo Durant and Kareem Walker combined for over 100 yards rushing on the ground. When you're giving up over 300 yards of offense and you're not able to match that energy, it definitely leads to uh, a pretty pretty disparative sign on the scoreboard. They outgained us 324 to 240, almost six yards per play, six more first downs than we had, five more first downs on the ground. I mean, the only thing, pretty much the only thing we did better was third down efficiency. We were 36%, they were 25%. But other than that, like, St. Louis pretty much did everything to us, and we we gave nothing back in return. And again, you know, when you look at these stats, a lot of it comes down to the play of the offense. It, Kyle Slaughter, yeah. you can't have three interceptions, man. I mean, I know and you you, uh, you had talked to me. I had kind of caught a glimpse of the games, uh, you know, because like I said, busy moving. But um, sure, uh, Slaughter, you know, overthrew some receivers, and that led to yep. interceptions. I mean, you can't do that, man. I mean, I'm not. We're not expecting you to be Luis Perez. Because he's on fire, but Perez is doing awesome right now. But that's a, that's a whole different that's conversation. a whole other conversation. Two hundred and five yards, twenty three of thirty nine for two hundred and five yards isn't, I mean, the worst. But you cannot turn the ball over, Kyle. You just can't do it. And then as far as the rushing game goes, is it did the O line look better to you, Zach? I think that's probably best saved for the San Antonio game. They did not look all that great. In this ball game, gotcha. they they weren't cre- they they weren't creating holes in in the St. Louis game, and that that, 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 that was that's shown. That's that's definitely shown with forty nine yeah. yards rushing, <laughs> forty nine yards rushing in this ball game, twenty four yards for Davion Smith. The longest rush anybody had was Sloter on a QB scramble of eleven yards. Like that that just isn't going to do it at any kind of collegiate or professional level. Even Texas Tech has better rushing numbers than that. Oh. So like when you're when you're spreading it out, you still have to be able to attack the middle to keep them honest. And I just don't feel like they were able to do that in this ball game. You're right, 205 yards isn't all that bad. I mean, McCarron only threw for 214. So I mean, it was nine yards of difference as far as the the passing through the air numbers, but McCarron had two touchdown passes, and he didn't get sacked. Granted, Sloter only got sacked once in that ballgame, but when you're able to protect the quarterback, give him time to make the right reads, to step into his throws properly, then you prevent those three interceptions. So I, I feel like some of this is still on the offensive line in this game for not creating holes in the rushing game and not giving Sloter enough time in the pocket to make the correct reads and the correct throws. No, I, I agree. And, you know, you know to, to not try to be punny here, but, you know, when you're not firing on all cylinders, that's why you get, you know, 11 points and not 24 like St. Louis had. And I just, I don't know what, I don't know what the offense has to do at this point because it's have they scored more than fourteen points this year? Uh ten to nine. Yeah, we beat them twenty two to twenty. But that was defense that yeah. was putting up those defensive touchdowns against Vegas. As far as offensive productivity goes, no, I don't think we've done anything better than eleven or twelve. We we put up twelve in that game against San Antonio, put up eleven here, put up ten against Orlando. 
So as far as offensive productivity goes, the offense is averaging about 11 points per game right now. That's not going to win you ball. I mean, defense wins championships, but you got to have something on the offensive side of the ball. Well, and that's the really weird thing about this team is as the defense goes, so goes the team. And I, I think that's very different from what we're used to seeing from Bob Stoops. I, I agree. Stoops had a very offensive mindset at Oklahoma, and he has set up and established a very sound defensive formation. He's got good defensive coaches. He's got good defensive players. Even with the loss of uh, Hawkins, the defense still played really, really well against San Antonio. So there's definitely some bright spots to take away from this defense. But as you were saying, when you give up over 300 yards to a team like the Battlehawks, then it's it's really not going to, to manifest quite as well. I will say, though, there there was a time where I had a little bit of hope, and that was when Arlington got that fourth quarter touchdown. They They got a score that I believe made it a less than one possession ball game. And then right after that, let me see, did I do did I say that right? Fourth quarter touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth quarter touchdown. And then the next drive, a six play, sixty seven yard touchdown drive answer by St. Louis. Mm. Yeah. And so like like we said, just a case of the defense not being on their game that day, and so when the offense did something good, the defense gave something right back and you know, give and take. You're not gonna you're not gonna win many games when that's happening. Yeah, yeah. When when you're not able to score and then get that defensive stop right after it, you kind of lose your momentum a little bit. I feel like the team had a little bit of momentum back after they got the score. They got the two point conversion. I think it was. Uh, let me let me take a look and see if the point after touchdown was good. One point conversion pass is good. So it was 17 to 11 in the fourth quarter. And if the defense makes a stop and gets the ball back, well, it's a different ball game. It's, yep. it's a totally different outcome when it's seventeen to eleven. But then you give up that touchdown right after that, and they fumbled it away and intercepted it away on their next two possessions after that St. Louis touchdown. So they the the defense needed to step up in that game against St. Louis, and they didn't. However. As we're going to see a couple of cylinders from now, I feel like the defense figured a few things out and made some pretty important plays in the Alamo Dome this past week. Yeah, bear with us, folks. We'll we'll get to some positive stuff here in a bit. I know this is we're glory, we're about but... to we're we're about to get to get to the good stuff. But I felt like we needed to at least spend a few minutes talking about some of the unfortunate stuff and what kind of things we feel like Arlington might have learned from it because. I do feel like the crowd played a factor in this. I do feel like some of the early jitters early in the ball game ended up affecting the outcome. And when you're not able to start things on the right foot, you're kind of playing from behind. And Arlington's not a team that is built to come from behind. Mm-hmm. They are built to get a couple of scores and lean on the defense to keep the opponent at arm's length. When somebody jumps out in front of you the way St. Louis did, it was like 17-3. to 
you can't come back from that. This team is not built to come back from down 17-3. So I, I think this game was a testament to how strongly Arlington relies on their defense. And that was reinforced this past week in San Antonio. 100% agree. Well, unless you got any other final thoughts on that St. Louis game, we can kind of move on and get people caught up on some of the stuff that's been going on around the uh, league. I think real quick, real quick, uh, really cool to see the dome packed. You know, yes. a lot of uh, stadiums have not been seeing great attendance so far this year, and but St. Louis showed out, and you know, like you have to commend that. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess I had this in the notes, and I forgot to mention it. St. Louis's scores happened one touchdown right before halftime and then another score just on the other side of the break. They were able to execute that strategy that the home team has the advantage for where you can defer your option to the second mm-hmm. half. They got a score right before the break and then broke it open with a score right after the break as well. So in some respects, we kind of got a little outcoached. I mean... But I don't think I don't think anybody's ready for that conversation. No, I, I mm, yeah, I don't think anyone's ready for that conversation. But I I, I know we could have it right now. So, but we, let's just yeah. move on. Let's move on. Let's let's go. Let's go to happier things. One final note: there were 19 receptions to six different receivers for Kyle Sloter. I feel like the distribution, even though he had three picks, I feel like the distribution was a little bit better in this game. Oh, yeah, well, the stats prove that. And so, you know, it's good that he's finding more of his targets. Now let's hit them instead of overthrowing them. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I would still rather have overthrows. You and I have discussed this privately. I I think I would rather have overthrows than have the wrong reads because that was kind of the impression I was getting from Plitt when he was playing. He would just try to force things even if it wasn't the right read. If if Sloter is overthrowing, it's just a matter of getting the right touch on the ball to get it into the hands of those guys. As we saw evidenced again in the San Antonio game, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but he, he had a wide open throw to Canella, who had a who had a deep post and overthrew him. So if he's able to clean up the overthrows, I think there's still potential for this guy, but he's still got some work to do. For sure. All right, let's go take a look at some of the stuff that happened this past week around the league. It's time for Cylinder number two. Joe, the Roughnecks suffered their first defeat in franchise history. They didn't have a single loss in 2020. They were off to a rousing start to 2023. And then they go to Seattle and fall to the Sea Dragons 21 to 14. Is that a testament to how well Seattle is playing? Or did Houston blow them off? Is it the cold environment of Seattle? What happened in that ball game? Uh, I think I think that Seattle's just playing very well right now, and I think the Roughnecks, you know, as every team does, had had a bad game. They had a bad game, and it was about time they lost. If we're being honest, they were getting a little too cocky. I was I was getting sick of them. <laughs> I I was too, and and the thing that I had kept hoping for, going all the way back to Week One, when Silvers got picked off a couple of times at Orlando, mm-hmm. um, I was hoping that there would be some film that would help teams 
figure out this Houston offense and slow them down slash shut them down. And this was a Houston offense that was coming in averaging almost like 30 points per game or some ridiculous number like that. And they only put up 14 against Seattle. And the Sea Dragons have been able to kind of turn things around a little bit. I feel like they're just playing better overall. And to to see this and to see them now even at 3-2 uh, and two with the Battlehawks in that North Division... You know, they're 2-1 and one at home. They're on a three-game winning streak after starting 0-2. Uh, outside of D.C., I feel like Seattle may be the hottest team in the league right now. Oh, I agree. And it's funny. I saw a meme uh, when they did beat Houston. I was Ben Denucci with the red laser eyes, and it was the overmodulated, like, traditional Italian music. And it, <laughs> you just lost to Gucci Denucci. I was like, yeah, yes, I love it. I love it. Now, and so Danucci does lead the league in passing yards. He's got over 1300 passing yards. He is slinging the ball. However, he's got a 9 touchdown to 7 interception ratio, which is not all that great. He's a gunslinger, and, man. And he leads all quarterbacks with 5 fumbles. Any quarterback that has seen playing time in the league, he leads all of them with 5 fumbles per xfl.com. So, I don't know if it's just Danucci that is carrying this team. I I feel like it's a it's a cohesive effort, and it's it's being anchored by players like Josh Gordon and Jacor Pearson. Those guys are balling out for him right now, and they're helping keep the offense moving. But I mean, you gotta give credit to the defense also for holding Houston to fourteen points. Exactly, and so the Seattle defense stepped up. And Seattle was a good team. It's a good team. I mean, the f- two losses they have, I believe, both were games where they got come back. They uh, gave up a comeback, mm. so they gave uh, DC a great run for the money, and they're undefeated. So I think Seattle's right. a good team. I think Seattle's one of the best teams in the league. I just the record just does not show up. But I think this game proved that they can play with the big boys. Well, the interesting thing is, now that we're halfway through the season, we're kind of seeing what the pecking order is within the league. You've got teams like the Vipers and the Brahmas who are 1-4, and and they're probably better teams than their records indicate, but they've been getting the short end of the stick in certain games. And then you've got teams like Seattle who are on the rise but probably have a really tough second half of the season ahead of them because if they want to make the playoffs they're going to need to finish with a better record than St. Louis, and that's going to be a tough thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And so it, Seattle needs to build off this momentum, obviously. And, yep. I, you know, D.C. needs to falter. And Seattle can find themselves it was the top two teams. And, honestly, the North is the best, better division right now because you have Seattle at 3-2, and two, um, St. Louis at three and two, and then DC at five and zero. Oh. So a lot of football left to be played, and Seattle can find themselves in that playoff conversation. They they finish their season weeks eight, nine, and ten are as follows: Week eight home against DC, Week nine at St. Louis, Week ten home against Vegas. I think if they can find a way to snag two out of those three then they're in the playoffs. 
They still have to play at Orlando, and they still have to play at Arlington. But I think if they can win two out of three against their division, then they stand a good chance of making the postseason. Agreed. Uh, some other stuff from around the league, more Renegades-focused. Um, there were um, some injuries that took place recently. We just saw the announcement today that Kenneth Farrow has been put on the team's injured list, and there was no timetable for his return expected. So the team added some much-needed offensive firepower. And when I heard that this player had been signed, my jaw dropped a little bit. Mm. This is the USFL's most valuable player. He was the league MVP last year. Led the entire league in receiving yards with 1,209. Averaged over 130 yards per game. And I don't know why he didn't get picked up until now unless he was just holding out as a free agent to see what became available. But my gosh, dude, to get Victor Bolden added to this roster yes. and become the new number one wide receiver target and possibly the kickoff return man, this is a huge bolster to the Renegades offense. Well, 100%. And like you just said, his pedigree... Uh... We had kind of talked about how the Renegades keep going after wide receivers and running backs, and that we have like no offensive line depth. But when you get a chance to add a guy like Victor Bolden, you take it. You take it 100%. This guy, I'm thinking, can have an immediate impact for us on both kick kick return and the offense. And maybe it's just the it's the boost that the Renegades need. I I feel like I should. Um, go back and, and give a, a little addendum there. He was the championship game MVP. I read the, oh, the information okay. incorrectly. So he played in the championship game for the Stallions and was the USFL championship MVP. Gotcha. Um, I believe it might have been Turpin from the Generals who was the, uh, the league most valuable player, and rightfully so. I mean, he's one of the few USFL guys that signed a NFL contract. Right. So... Um, justifiably so for him, but for us to get somebody like Birmingham's Bolden is a really, really big get. And it's, it's kind of funny because those, he and Sloter were kind of opponents. They were, they were enemies in the USFL because Sloter played for, uh, New Orleans and those guys ended up playing each other three times because New Orleans um, made it to the the division playoff against Birmingham, and Birmingham beat them all three times. And a lot of that was on the back of players like Bolden. So I'm really curious to see just how much playing time he gets moving forward, uh, how quickly he can incorporate himself into the scheme. I personally feel like with Farrow on the injured list, we could see him as a return specialist as soon as this week. It's not that hard to put somebody at the 10-yard line and return kickoffs. Nope. So I, I think we could see Bolden getting playing time as soon as this weekend. Yeah, but I agree. I, uh, you know, as we said, I think he's going to be in uh, an immediate impact. And so it'll be interesting to see that once, uh, once he takes the field for the Renegades this weekend. Uh, a little note that we were going to make during last week's uh, broadcast and then didn't get the chance to 
going into week five, linebacker Donald Payne was the leading tackler in the XFL. Didn't have as great of a game against the Brahmas as we thought maybe he would, but he is still number two in the XFL in tackles through five weeks. So even with the loss of a player like Josh Hawkins, this defense is still being anchored by a very consistent, very stout player in the form of linebacker Donald Payne. And we highlighted him during the season preview, talking about the kind of impact that he could have in the front seven for Arlington. And with 38 total tackles, 17 solo, and 21 assists, uh, I think he is living up to the hype at this point. 100%. You know, you like you mentioned, the Hawkins injury. Uh the fact that these players are stepping up and continuing to have great games on the defensive side of the ball, that's just a testament to the defensive coordinator. That's a testament to just each individual player. You know, you lose a guy with the caliber of Hawkins, and you could fold, honestly, but they don't. They've stepped up, and you saw it in last week's game with the, with the Brahmas. They played pretty much lights out, so... Yeah, the, this this defense is playing exceptionally well. And while we're talking about league leaders, uh, we should also give a mention to Marquette King. He is 0.2 yards away from being the leader in punting average. He's averaging 45.8 yards per punt. And San Antonio's Brad Wing is averaging 46.0 so they are neck and neck for what could be considered the Ray Guy Award for the XFL. Um, both of them have accrued over a thousand yards in punts, and nobody else comes even close. Uh, so, as much as I hate to admit it, sometimes you need a player like King in order to keep you in it, and that was evidenced in the game against San Antonio. I keep alluding to it, so unless you have any objections, let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's talk about how Marquette King and the rest of the Renegade special teams, offense, and defensive unit performed in last week's game against San Antonio. Rev them up again, Renegades fans. It's time for cylinder number three. So cylinder number three, oftentimes we'll use one of these middle cylinders to do a player profile, but as we mentioned, getting caught up, and we're finally at the most recent game, a 12-10 win at San Antonio, the first road win of the season for Arlington. Their previous two wins had been at home. A couple of nail biters won those two games by a combined three points, win this game by just two points. Um... All of Arlington's wins are nail-biters, Joe, but this one was pretty important because it sent the Brahmas to a very abysmal 1-4, and four. and if they should lose again, Arlington's in the driver's seat for that second playoff spot. Exactly, and a big win in the Alamo Dome, which is also not a very easy place to play. They have gone to two domes now back-to-back in hostile environments, and granted, they put up basically the same amount of points, but they came out with the win this time because the defense stepped up and did their job. Defense came up really, really big in this ball game. Um, at halftime, I was talking about how the 
the team needed to try to win the turnover battle. And guess what? They actually heard me because uh, I'm pretty sure we did. Let me go ahead and take a look. Yeah, we beat them in the turnover game three to one. And I haven't checked this with absolute certainty. I didn't get a chance to take a look at this before we went to go record. But I am pretty sure that every game Arlington has won, they've won the turnover battle. Every game that they've lost, it's because they lost the turnover battle. And, I mean, that's just football in general. NFL, USFL, XFL. If you win the turnover battle... I'd say 85 to 90% of the time, you will win the game. There are always a few exceptions to the rule, but when you have players like uh, Shakur Brown, who got a really big interception late, um, when, you, when you've when you got players like uh, Joe Powell, who got the interception at the goal line, uh, and then Darren Evans getting a pick for Arlington as well, you know, when, when they're able to, to lock things down like that and then the offense is able to turn around and do something with it, not only did we get turnovers, we got points off turnovers in this ball game. The the Joe Powell interception, he got it at the goal line and stepped out at the two, and then surprisingly, even I was surprised by this, and I've been a fan of the Renegades from day one, but for them to orchestrate a 98 yard touchdown drive i was just in awe i really thought they were going to get stumped somewhere along the line and we were going to have to send out russellino again to try to kick a a mid-range long-term long-range field goal that's just kind of been our mo is you know we get across the 50 and then can't punch it in and we just settle for three it's happened more times than i can count to go on a 98 yard scoring drive i really feel like that interception that turned into a touchdown was the thing that put this game away for us. 100%. And, you know, it's good to see Davion Smith get a touchdown. 19 carries for 44 yards. Still, uh, I mean, the the overall rushing was better. We had 119 yards rushing on the ground. Um, rushing on the ground. What am I saying? 119 yards rushing. You can't really that's, rush in the that's, air. That's, rush probably, the air. <laughs> that's probably the, the most rushing yards we've had all season in a game, for sure. Yeah, and so it it's improving, but at the same time, nineteen for forty four at two point three average, ugh, you know. Yeah, Vernell Hall got our longest run of the year on a twenty one yard jet sweep end around type of play, and it was great to see that. And I and I think it's needed. I think we we have definitely needed to come up with some other type of creative play that gets us productivity on the ground. So it was cool to see. Rennell Hall get incorporated into the scheme like that. But you're right. When you've got uh, a 2.3 average and a 3.4 average from your two running backs, um, that's not exactly the average that you're hoping to see. But it's encouraging overall to see them finally hit triple digits. If they were going to do it, I would want them to be doing it during the second half of the season because when you're making that playoff push... It's these types of games that you're going to need the ground attack to help carry you to the finish line. And I feel like they did that in this game. They got the interception with just a few minutes left, and then the three, four-minute offensive scheme was able to pick up enough first downs to melt the clock away, and San Antonio never got the ball back. 
and that's yeah, it's Slaughter. I mean, the a league leading ninety-eight yard scoring drive. Yeah, when you have a drive, a ninety-eight yard scoring drive, you're gonna chew up a lot of clock. A lot of clock. You did. You do. You do chew up a lot of clock, and then uh, the 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 four minute offense sealing it at the end. I think it just it looked like a better, more complete team. They didn't get a whole lot of touchdowns. But when you have the offense being that productive and you have the defense forcing three interceptions and then Marquette King with the big punt that he downed himself at the 10-11 yard line, the offense, defense, and special teams were all playing at a high level and winners win. You know, even if the score is 12-10, to winners find a way to win and that's what it looked like from the Renegades. It didn't look like they escaped. It didn't look like they, you know, stole one. It didn't look like they eked it out. It just looked like a win. It wasn't a dominant win, but it was a win. Well, I'm gonna, I want to ask you a quick before we move on a little bit here. Do you think the play calling is needs to be more inspired for the Renegades? Define inspired. Do you mean like they need to go more vertical? I'd say yes. I'd say mix it up more. I just I can't uh, comprehend how we're only having you know averages of two point two and three yards for rush for both of our uh, running backs for rushing, and then you know to, to have the average of like what eleven points a game for us. Yeah. What what what's wrong? Is it the players or is it the coaching? Because mm. I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's it's probably a, a little bit of both, but I also feel like it's about um it's about making the plays when you need to make them. Because the first couple of games with Plitt, the offensive drives were stalling. And maybe the plays were good calls, but Plitt wasn't making the right reads. Okay, right. And then we take a look at bringing in Sloter these last couple of games, and it's possible that he has the arm for it, but they're not dialing up the right play for him to make that play. Gotcha. So I, I feel like there there's fault at stake in, in both sides. And maybe that's just a matter of getting cohesive, getting everybody on the same page, everybody making the right reads, everybody making the right plays. There were several times in, in the game against San Antonio that he had an open man and he zipped it too fast and they dropped the pass or like we talked about earlier with Canella on the deep post he was open and Kyle overthrew him yeah so I think there are plays that are going vertical and they're just not connecting they're just not hooking up I think there was one big play in the St. Louis game that was like to 41 yards to Caleb Vander Esch so there there were several um long passes that happened in the game against San Antonio. Arcanado got a catch that was a long of 28 yards. And then uh, Javante Payton got a catch of 26 yards. A couple of receptions for Canella and Winningham of 17 yards. I think the offense is getting better at getting vertical. But I think the only way you can get truly vertical is if you can establish the ground game better to set up the play action. And I don't think the play action has been established all that well yet because defenses aren't respecting the run game. That's fair. And so 
to fix that, you have to establish that run game. And so agreed. that's something, hopefully, that they can do this week when they play, whoa, San Antonio again, back-to-back. Yeah, we might as well just kind of keep this this particular cylinder open and then kind of rev it up to the next gear, if you will. Uh, let's go ahead and take a preview to the next game, which is the exact same team we just played. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyways to let you all hear the rev rev of the motorcycle one more time. <laughs> it's time for cylinder number four. So, Joe, Arlington returns to Choctaw Stadium after a couple of road games. They go one and one during that road stretch. Uh, seems like they learned a few things from the St. Louis game and were able to find some things that they could do to turn it around against San Antonio. This game, in my opinion, could be the thing that helps us clinch a playoff appearance because we still have Orlando and we still have Houston. But if we can sweep both of them, then it doesn't matter if we get swept by Houston. Right. And it really doesn't matter what happens in the games against, say, Seattle or D.C. Right. We could, we could end up beating San Antonio and beating Orlando. And then let's say Seattle stays red hot. Let's say we go into Audi Field and we can't beat the Beer Snake. Let's say Houston whoops us in Choctaw and it's our first home loss of the year. We finish... Five and five, but we finish with the wins that we need to go to the postseason. I'll take it. Everyone likes to make the playoffs, right? Everybody likes the playoffs. Everybody likes a chance at pulling the upset. It'll be a really tough game because I'm pretty sure the team with the better record gets to be the home team. We got to go back to TDECU to play the conference championship, essentially. Yeah. But at least we're in it. Right. And it's, and it's very, very tough. I will say this. It is very, very tough to beat the same team three years or, or three games in a row. Oh, we've seen that in the past with the NFL, Cowboys, Giants. I forgot what year it was, but that was bad in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's it, things would favor the Renegades if they were to go 0-2 against Houston but make the playoffs. This is the game, though, because if you lose this next game – Brahmas are now two and four. You're three and three. You only have a game up on them, and now you need to, you know, win a lot more of your games. If you take them out here, they go to one and five. You're now at four and two. Unless this there's an is, absolute epic collapse. To to me, this could be potentially the most important game of the year. Yep. If we are able to sweep San Antonio back to back weeks. And like you said, go to four and two. We are in the driver's seat for a playoff spot in the South Division. hundred percent. And and what's really cool is the the Renegades marketing department is trying to get families to come out and cheer them on in these games against San Antonio and Seattle. It's gonna be a really quick turnaround. A really quick turnaround. They'll play on Sunday and then they got a like four game spread and then they got to turn right around and play Seattle on Friday the 31st. So the these next two games are pretty important, but what do you want slash need to see from this team to go to four and two? I need to see points on the board scored by the offense. 
defense, I man, they deserve all of the back rubs, hot tub baths, ice packs, whatever they need to feel comfortable. They deserve it all because they have been troopers this whole season so far, minus maybe the St. Louis game. So it's time for the offense to step up. It is finally time for the offense to step up, figure their stuff out, and score more than 11 points. Because if if that if the offense can get clicking, this is one of the most dangerous teams in the league. So hopefully we Agreed. see uh, a, a more inspired offense this week. Um, I think it maybe could be a defensive battle again. You know who knows? But if the offense can come out and change things around, it's a whole different whole different team out there. Yeah, I mean we we've been harping on this for the last couple of weeks that offense wins ball games but defense wins championships mm-hmm. and i really feel like we've got a defensive championship caliber team like this this defense is championship level right but the but the offense is not and and they need to figure things out in the next couple of games in order to prepare for a team like Houston in case we need to match them blow for blow offensively. I think Seattle would be a really good test for that. And Seattle is is battle-hardened as far as short weeks go. They've played Thursday games up in Seattle. They know what it's like to have this quick turnaround. Arlington does not. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to see, number one, how healthy the team can stay. Because mm-hmm. you need the team healthy for the Friday game as well. And... I want to see pressure on Jack Cohn. I think Cohn is overrated. And oh my god, if you watched him in college, he's a hundred percent overrated. <laughs> I I think I think he is even more overrated than the San Antonio faithful try to give him credit for, and that's why they put Senate in. But then Senate got hurt, and he's in a boot. Yeah, they, so they <laughs> he's not playing. He he's not making it into into this Sunday's ball game, which puts a whole lot more pressure on Cone. And if we can get him rattled, if we can get him to make mistakes, there's really nobody else that Heinz Ward can go to. There is no backup to pull. This is Jack Cone's game to lose. And my hope would be that we can pick him off at least twice. I think that the very likely possibility and you know to credit you like you said the san antonio faithful touting cone up and i've kind of, i'm actually in one of their groups on facebook because i joined with uh, uh, an old friend i did a podcast with and it's funny watching them i would liken them to a&m fans honestly they oh, are no. I, I know i'm sorry it, they're it, it's slightly delusional slightly delusional and it's <laughs> and excuses and oh we're, we're actually good we're fine we're okay it's like no you just lost to Appalachian State guys calm down uh <laughs> and so uh I, it would be really nice to beat them sweep them this year um and kind of just you know sit them down shut them up but uh have have some have some bragging rights have some bragging rights exactly because from what I've seen with Renegades fans we're more calm-headed cool collected uh Really, I'm not even going to like them to Texas fans because that's not true either <laughs> from what I've seen. Maybe so. maybe a bit more like TCU fans, yeah. optimistic, but, but a little realistic as well. Yeah, I'd say that. I would, I would like, it's funny because DFW, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would liken that. Uh, I, I, I like that comparison there. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens here at Choctaw Stadium. 
when you're talking about delusions, I do feel like I need to give a little bit of a reality check, and this comes from a tweet from Matty Fresh. Okay. He he put out the Arlington Renegades are three and two. Yep. The the teams that they have beaten are a combined two and thirteen. Sorry, we haven't played anyone like really good, and we've only lost to what Houston and St. Louis. Right. We haven't even so played Seattle the, or DC. What if we beat them? You know, then what are you gonna do? What are you gonna say, Matty Fresh? We could. We very well could. But I just don't want people thinking that we are as delusional as San Antonio fans. Oh no! Like I think I think if you li- if you've listened to this <laughs> podcast, you know we are very we are being critical of the offense because they deserve to be, be uh, criticized by their play right now. So it's not like we're sitting here going, "Oh my God, Kyle Slaughter's the best quarterback in the XFL," and yada yada yada. So you know we. And I think a lot of ex- I thought like I think a lot of Renegades fans are like that as well. They're not sitting there touting Slaughter. Uh, from what I've seen, a lot of them on the tweets from the uh, team account, they lot. Where's the offense? Can the offense get going, please? Let's get the offense yeah. going. And so, you know, it like you said, realist but optimistic. Well, let's keep that optimism going. What are your score predictions for this week six matchup against the Browns? I, man, and I, it's like I want to say we get more points, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna go. I hmm, fourteen ten Renegades. Oh, so so we get we get two more points. We get two That's, more points. <laughs> yes, there from, we go. From from a twelve to ten finish. To a fourteen to ten finish, Huzzah. <laughs> but man, outside of maybe one or two games when the Renegades are playing, if you're a betting person, you definitely take the under. Oh, 100, oh man, I kind of wish I had taken the under in all these games. That'd have made a little you'd bit be, of money. <laughs> you'd be you'd be raking for sure. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have the optimism that we get two touchdowns this ball game. So I'm gonna say um, sixteen. Okay. And I'll and, and I'll and I'll go ten. I'll go. I'll go sixteen to ten. But uh, yeah, I do think it'll be hard-nosed defensive field position, working the clock, getting field goal range, take the points you can find where you can find them, and again, turnover battle. Mm-hmm. I think if we can if we can rattle Cone and pick him off once or twice, I think twice is doable. If we can do that, then I think we're in good shape. Let's do it. All right. Well, that is just about it for this edition of renegades roundup it's going to be season two episode six technically but we did have a st louis recap in store for all of y'all that we just didn't get around to so the show notes actually called this episode six and a half (laughs) 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 but it's going to be episode six on the show list thank you all so much for being a part of this show and a part of this episode we're at 27 listeners that are subscribed on spotify but i know we've got a lot more people that tune in than that But we want to give a special shout out to our subscribers on Spotify and want to encourage you all to go subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you're listening to. Joe, I found out this afternoon that 11% of our listenership, almost 12%, is European. I didn't even know Europe was interested in the XFL or the Arlington Renegades, but we've got a significant portion of our listenership on the other side of the world, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, I think that's awesome, and I think you you sent me the picture and what we are. Yeah. Guten Tag, 
football friends in Germany, and Arrivederci to our football fans in Italy as well. So, it's awesome. It's really cool, and we're so thankful to everybody that tunes into this show, and hopefully uh, you can show that love to us as well with uh, with a rate and a subscription button. We might actually have a little surprise in store for people that subscribe on Spotify, mm. so be sure to go and hit that subscribe button, and maybe we'll tease you a little bit more about that next week. Before we go, since this is an Arlington podcast, uh, I would be remiss if we did not express our love and our condolences to our friends over at Arlington Lamar High School, a very senseless situation that happened right after spring break concluded, and the events that have transpired since then, uh, just gut-wrenching, but at the same time really encouraging because of all the vigils and all the support that all of the different schools in the area have been showing. I saw a picture from Duncanville High School that wore navy and yellow today to honor Arlington Lamar. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of other schools in the district, a lot of administrators, uh, and people in the higher up rankings in different school districts that were wearing Navy and yellow. It's really unfortunate that it's a tragedy like this that has to bring us together, but I, I do have to admire how much support is rallying around the Vikings right now. And we just want to echo that and extend our love to them as well. Exactly. And, you know, I went to Bowie high school, so they weren't really our rivals, but, you know, I did play them in sports and stuff. And, you know, it's it, this is a time when, you know, rivalries don't exist. You, you need to show love. Right. You need to support um, your – gosh, we're all Arlingtonites. Dang it. You know, like support your, support your neighbors, yeah. support your friends. And so it's really – yeah, it's really cool to see that even here. You know, in Nebraska, no, to, to look back at my hometown and see the, the support that's going on right now, yeah, it's really good. It's really cool to see. There was a moment of silence that was held for them during the Tuesday baseball game that I was broadcasting for, and I know that those moments of silence are being held uh, across the state. I'm hoping that the Renegades do something similar in their game on Sunday. It would definitely be a nice mm -hmm. nod to the city and a, and a respect to the families and communities of the area. If you are a family in the Arlington area, I, I don't know if I made a, a specific enough mention of this, they're doing a family combo pack right now for this Sunday's game and the Friday game. Four tickets, four hot dogs, and four drinks for just $100. They're not paying us to say that, but I think it's a pretty nice round number and a pretty sweet deal for you to be able to take your family out and enjoy some quality football. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a great deal. and People, you need to take advantage of that. Take advantage of that and take in a game while you still have the opportunity as long as things continue to trend in the trajectory that we're expecting, Arlington will likely be in the playoffs, but they won't be hosting the playoffs. And the championship game is going to be held in San Antonio. So there's only two or three more home games left for you to take in. We encourage you to go check that out and support your Renegades. Thanks for supporting this episode of Renegades Roundup. That's going to do it for us for this week's edition. For Joe, I'm Zach. Thanking you again for tuning in. And reminding you one more time to raise, raise some, some hell. hell.